Hey everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show Maniac. Today we'll be covering the seventh and eighth episode <laughs> of the Great Tale Maniac, titled Sessi Nest Pas Undril and The Lake of the Clouds. That was very good French, Sean. <laughs> yeah, roll your D20, Rima, because you're about to nerd out. I know. I know. I love I love that. I'm so glad that you got to do that and not me. I've been teased <laughs> mercilessly in the past, not for a French accent, but my horrible interpretation of an Australian accent. So accents <laughs> are just better off left in someone's hands whenever I am um, co-hosting. So very well done. I love it. We're, we're, we're two more episodes after this one just two more left yeah and, and there's a lot of stuff that happened into the in this these two episodes even though they were super short they're less than oh, they're probably like right at a half hour each yeah and there was a lot of stuff jam packed in it and i loved the two scenes and like the two settings for these episodes so i'm super pumped to talk about it i'm super pumped to talk about it as well and with that why don't we go ahead and jump into our top five and why don't you start us off all right, Rima. So I am a huge nerd D&D tabletop <laughs> RPG fan, and that is what we got here. And I want to see a movie, a TV show. Like, Netflix needs to green light this today. I want to see a, a TV series with Emma and her sister, the, the girl who played her sister, so Emma mm-hmm. Stone. And really, this is – I've titled it Thor Elvnarok. <laughs> because Good Emma one. Stone, like when they cast, at some point they're going to cast a female Thor because that's in the comics right now. And the Sweet. person they need to cast is Emma Stone because I absolutely loved how she interacted with her sister in this and how she was in character for a bunch of this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, like this was, I talk about D&D every now and then. This was essentially like a D&D story. Like, you know, it's somebody who's it kind was. of playing a character, but not really. You know, when she's fighting the invisible thing, she kills one of them. She's like, oh, see, I got I got to find it because it was so funny what she said. Oh, <laughs> my greatest tri- my greatest triumphs always go unwitnessed. <laughs> yeah, I love that line. <laughs> uh, but this, you know, the tale kind of gets sad. But as she's interacting with this, like there's so much fun stuff in here. And I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show um, Crod Man Dune. No, I have not. It's it's from like 2009, maybe 2007. Uh, mm-hmm. Has Kevin Hart in it. Uh, it was a um, Comedy Central like miniseries, like six episodes. Okay, uh, but it was a fantasy comedy type thing where you know this guy has this like flaming sword and like he doesn't know how to use it, but he's like the Colin <laughs> one, and uh, it's his. Uh, oh, it's so funny because his uh, the girl that he's in love with is a pagan. But she's a very promiscuous pagan. And oh. so like when she's talking about it's like, listen, you know, I'm like I'm not just into like one guy at one time. Like I, I like to go, you know, I'm experimental. And uh, his comment in that was like, well, I thought you meant like it'd be like some light bondage or maybe a three way. But she's like <laughs> she has like this whole like thing where she has to. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's hilarious. Go watch it. But that it was, is crazy. It was very much like similar to this Emma Stone or this Annie character in this fantasy realm where they're trying to find the cloud uh, or the the lake of the cloud. Mm-hmm. But again, 
yeah. So what kind of some of your thoughts when you saw this kind of fantasy genre? Well, I, I kind of laughed a little bit. It wasn't what I was expecting for sure um, to, to just see them. And, and I had assumed even before they'd said it, that they were elves um, based on the ears. And of course, I am a Lord of the Rings fan. So, uh-huh. you know, I thought, you know, Emma Stone looks like the female Legolas. Um is who she reminded me of. Uh, so I thought, you know, I thought it was pretty cool. I loved the wigs. I loved the wardrobe. I loved yes. the scene, the scene. I don't know, or the whole scenery itself. I don't know where they filmed. I probably should have looked that up before, um, t- before we recorded tonight. Um, you know, it looked like Midwest, like timber to me. Like I've, oh, like yeah? the woods they were walking, like those are the woods I walk, you know, back home. Okay. So it looked very much kind of, you know, just regular timber in the Midwest because it didn't look right. very mountainy. It didn't look very kind of, you know, like Appalachian Mountains. It looked kind of just like I said, like a more fall Midwest area. Right. At least until they got to the lake itself. And yeah, then, yeah. you know, we, of course, had like the big like cliff where, you know, you could kind of see where the that was where the accident had occurred and stuff. But until we got to that point, yeah, it did look to be, you know, a very dense wooded area. So I'm curious. I'll have to look that up later to see where they film, but I really dug it. I loved, um, their accents. I loved Emma Stone. She wasn't your typical like hero or heroine. I should say in, in the tale, she was drinking a lot. She was like, um, trying to get her, which she wasn't her sister in this little, like, memory session that she was sharing. She was this elven princess, but she was trying to pry more diamonds out of her (laughs) for this dangerous journey, you know, that they were on. And so I thought that it was, you know, kind of different than what you would normally expect to see. Um, So I, I got a a real kick out of it. And, and I am also on the same boat that if they decided to do some sort of little spinoff with these two characters, it, that would be really lovely to see. I thought they played off really well with each other, um, with Emma Stone, just totally, you know, fed up or Ania, was that her name on Ania? Was her name in that that little session um, or that memory, um, to, to see an Elia, to see those two interact with each other, um, you know, uh, and, Anya looking like she just wants to be anywhere else yeah. but there. So well, I thought that was great. She's very much like the the chaotic, uh, maybe neutral. You know, mm-hmm. doesn't really care. Is just there to get money. You know, because she talks about like the diamonds. It's like, well, this is going to require nine more diamonds. And she's like, well, I have to have to urinate those. And, you know, she's <laughs> like, well, that sounds painful. If I was you, I would do that all the time. I mean, well, let's be real. If if we could all urinate diamonds, wouldn't we just do that all the time? Of course, yeah. if 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 everyone could do that, then they wouldn't be as valuable, That's right? True. That's true. So, It'd have but to be I like mean, the, the goose that laid the golden egg would be the the elf that pissed the um, <laughs> diamonds. Um, I like because when he, when she was taking a swig out of that that um, that canister, mm-hmm. if I had like I mean I, I thought it might have been water at first, but like I got a very big feel of like huh, and I wrote down drunk elf. Like before she even mentioned like uh, her sister, the the actual full elf, uh, says something like, you know, you're always like drinking your spirits whenever we're together. And she's like, well, some of us sustains ourselves or some of us since take two. Uh, Some of us sustain ourselves in different ways. (laughs) And then she takes another big swig and like her eyes just do this weird little like half up looking thing like, oh, my God, like I just do not want to be here helping this elf girl. Yeah. And she makes it very clear. It's like, this is just a business arrangement. And that's when she talks about the uh, the diamonds and needing more of them. 
Yeah, that was super, super fun. And when she wakes up the next morning and has like a little pile of diamonds next to her and she's like very carefully picking them up because it's like now she knows where they come from. I'd be like, I'm going to be wearing some gloves from now on yeah, to pick up no those joke, diamonds. Right? Let's, let's go clean those up. Yeah, that was really good. I like I like the whole thing. I like the whole uh, fantasy kind of feel. I think that was kind of appropriate for, you know, what what this whole purpose was for the sea pill. So I like that. Yeah. And again, just to touch on like the, the part that Jonah Hill played in these two episodes, I thought was good, but again, didn't feel like a stretch for his character. I mean, it felt very uh-huh. much like a um, Franco acting like, you know, kind of in that same realm, but Emma Stone, again, this just show her shows her complete range. You yeah. Know, Cause she goes from this like elven half elf person to, to back to her regular character. But one thing, it's kind of a theory I have maybe, but was it, what did you think of her sister being a full elf and Annie being a half elf? I wrote like, essentially when I saw them, I'm like, well, that's kind of a weird choice. And mm-hmm. then I wrote down like, well, half elf, is she, are they half sisters? Is there, cause that, I, there's nothing that really alludes to it except that. And maybe it's just a choice of saying, well, we want you two to be kind of different. So one's an elf, one's a half elf, but it just seemed kind of a weird choice to make here. Right. Yeah. I'm curious as to why they, they, I mean, I don't think I have a really good explanation for it, but, or, you know, it can even speculate as to why, but I did think it was interesting that she, why they made Emma Stone a half elf versus her sister, a full elf and not just a full elf, but an elven princess. But she, but you know, Emma Stone seemed to have disdain for elven creatures. She, she, cause that isn't that kind of what she said. She's like, Oh, disgusting yeah. creatures. And I'm like, well, you're half, <laughs> you're half yeah. elf. So you're kind of talking about yourself. Which in the D and D realm, usually it's a little bit of the reverse. Like elves look down on half elves. Like they do not want to be around them at all because they're kind of like, you know, Basically, kind of like mudbloods in the Harry yeah, Potter yeah, exactly. world. <laughs> Look down on them. But yeah. but yeah, that's that's my number five. Like, I want to see this TV show. Like, I want to see a twelve episode run of this mm-hmm. uh, Thor Elvnarok. I like it. I I'm on that boat with you. I thought that would that would be very entertaining to see them go on this journey together. So I'm on board. I like it. Good number five. Um, so my number five kind of ties into a little bit with with that but more in a, a broad stroke and that's confrontation so they're in these two worlds we have jonah hill over in his mafioso world where he's like the son of uh um i'm thinking like a don um in the mafia mm. world emma stone is in this fantasy fictional fantasy world with um her sister and they're on now the C pill, which was for confrontation. And this phase C is for those patients to confront their inner demons. And then that is supposed to help them move on from those traumas and blind spots and the emotional barriers that they have that are acting like obstacles in life. Annie is confronting the guilt she has around her sister's death. And Owen is confronting the guilt he feels in having to lie and testify on behalf of Jed. So I just thought it was kind of interesting that they had these different worlds that they were acting these out. This is also the first time that we see Annie and Owen separated yes, as well, because they were in the other phases under the A and the B drug. Um, they were together, which they weren't supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And they were still um, kind of connected because she was kind of living a TV show that mm-hmm. had interactions with his um, his world. 
Right. We saw that kind of come come apart there at the end. And it was I thought it was interesting in, in the scene when Owen is sitting with Olivia and Emmett Stone is screaming at herself. She's looking at those little um oh the the little bugs that that oh, oh there were like slugs that were talking to her yes the little slugs that that were taught i guess the grubs grubs grub oh, worms yeah, yeah. is what i'm trying to think i was trying to think of like timon and pumbaa and the lion king what they <laughs> love to eat they love to eat grubs that's why my mind was going blank um but she was looking at those and they're talking to her and she's like kind of you know trying to get herself to wake up she's smacking herself wake up wake up and owen somehow hears that echo into his world which i thought was interesting like how can they how are they communicating each other? We see that a little bit later on too, when, when he hears Emma Stone talking about, and it's not so much hearing her from the other world. He's kind of remembering what she said, like, we'll protect each other. You know, we'll look out for each other. We'll protect each other. Um, so I like this confrontation that, or, or what the, at least the purpose of this was and how that comes about. And then the worlds that we're getting in these two episodes in seven and eight, it almost felt like these two episodes, because you mentioned they were short. It almost felt like it was one episode. Yeah, I agree. And they split it because they wanted to have like an even 10. Yeah, that's or something. what my thoughts were. But it like, worked, could, right? Yeah. I don't know what the next two episodes, if they're, you know, about the same length as these two, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's the gist I got is they kind of like, you know, like I, they probably could con- consolidate a lot of this to like a six episode season, but it seems mm-hmm. like a lot of Netflix shows are like right at 10 episodes. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, we can't end at nine. Let's do a good even 10. We'll just split this one right in half. <laughs> so. Unless it's Black Mirror, then it's like, well, we'll do however many episodes we want. Exactly. Exactly. But I just, I liked getting to see Face C and how they were both confronting their demons. I like the little dragonfly that was kind of. <laughs> Telling him it's done. <laughs> those are your inner demons that are trying to assassinate you. I think those invisible things you're shooting are your inner demons. <laughs> I guess it was kind of um, being spoon fed to us just a little bit. Yeah. But it, I thought it was still kind of funny that it, you know, I it wasn't so much, you know, oh, I'm glad that we had that information. It was more just, I think, funny that, you know, she's trying to evade all these arrows and she's got a little dragonfly person telling her. Those are your inner demons. <laughs> um, I'm kind of curious. I don't know if you caught this, but it seems like in these two episodes too, I caught like multiple times where it looks like there was blinking light. Like in the episode, it looked like a big lens flare. And I don't, I didn't really catch like if there's a consistency to it, but it seems like it happened every now and, and I could have been having a stroke. I don't know. No. <laughs> but you, you, I, there are a lot of things that go unnoticed by me. So I, I can't say I didn't notice it myself, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't there because I don't yeah. always pick up. I caught it a few times. I'm like, well, maybe like I, I blinked at the wrong time or something, but it seemed enough times. I'm like, maybe there's something to this. So like it was essentially their worlds, like them trying to break that fourth wall and come together um, is the uh, only thing I could really associate with why that would be there. Again, maybe it wasn't, but it really felt like there was some kind of blinking light there. No, that's a good pickup. I think there's lots of little interesting details. I mean, we've talked about it before, some of the really interesting little details that they seem to throw out there. And I think when you rewatch it, you really pick up a lot of that stuff too. So um, I'm just going to say that you're right and I'll agree with you and maybe <laughs> I'll pick it up on the next rewatch because I'm, I, I would like to go back and watch it all at once. If I can mm, find yeah. the time to like take a Saturday or a weekend or something and just watch it all at once. I mean, it's a pretty quick, I mean, I know it's 10 episodes, but it's a pretty quick little watch and you could even divide it up into the weekend. 
um, if you didn't have a lot going on and pick it up again, then I think that you'd get a lot more too. I know I always get more on the second watch. Oh yeah. yeah. I like it though. That's a really good, good theory though. I like it because it makes total sense with how they're moving this along and how they did kind of talk to each other a little bit throughout these two episodes. What is your number four? All right, so my number four, uh, it's pretty quick because we didn't get a ton of it, but it's really just therapy for the therapist. So we get <laughs> yeah. we get um, the doctor's mom in this room with Gert, and Gert is having like a very mental breakdown. Like She talks about, like, oh, my gosh, one minute I want to cry, next minute I want to laugh, and the next minute I just want to cause tons of damage. And it's it's interesting to see that because we really see, I think, at this point that Gert has that McGurdy situation going on, and that's that's kind of a real thing here. That she, you know, it's not the first time I think that she's gone a not gone a wall, but gone uh, off the rails and t- kind yeah. of taken over the simulations. And she drops hints about it this whole time. Like she talks about, like, well, what happens if this is a fucked up simulation? Because mm-hmm. I'm guessing it'd be her that was playing a lot of these characters. But yes. You know, it's just interesting to see that, you know, you have a sad computer. And that's kind of what she, the the real Gert was saying is like, or Greta was saying is, it's like, you're just a computer. Like, you get some emotions and now you have all this weird stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm kind it's, <clears throat> again, I would love to see more of it. We only got a very, very little bit of it. Um, I was halfway expecting that uh, Greta, the real Greta, wasn't going to come out of the simulation. Or if she did, she was going to be kind of like a Freddy Krueger Nightmare on Elm Street thing where she thought she came out of the simulation but was still actually in it. Um, but it, it appears that she came out because she drops the the name that freaks out the doctor and kind of sets the tone for the next two episodes. I Yeah, that that's actually like my number two is Greta versus Goethe which I've called her since the beginning. So I, I really loved the, the dialogue between... Sally Field playing both of these characters and just, it was like a real meta moment. Um, and I, I have some of their dialogue here. It says, it, it doesn't matter what they want. I'm here with you now. And right now it's all about what you want, which is to say what I want. Um, Gerda tells her, what I really need is a friend. And I think you could use one too. I fell in love and then I lost Robert and I don't know how, I don't know how I can. And then she laughs and says, Oh, so many new emotions. One minute I feel like I'm going to cry. The next minute I feel like I want to help everybody. And then the next I want to do as much damage as possible. Greta says, well, that's a little over the top. Don't you think all in all, this is all your hysteria, hysteria, Greta. It's all you. Um, so I I love that back and forth. And I do agree with you that it seems like Gerda is popping up in these characters. And I'm I'm curious as to where these boundaries are. They're they're talking about they have these limitations that Gerda can, you know, keep people from certain tendencies and from slipping and, and having, you know, because they had so many suicides and they were trying to keep people from from doing that. And so we know that uh, Dr. Fujimoto had made some alterations and given her these extra feelings. And I think that whenever Owen was talking to his dad after that last person that he had killed, uh, when he was wanting that new rug rolled out because it, it made him feel calm, which I thought was hilarious. Um, he said, have you ever considered that despite all your problems here, it's likely that you are currently trapped inside a malfunctioning, yeah. an extremely dangerous simulation, which is in itself directed by a suicide, suicidally depressed <laughs> consciousness. 
And then he tells him, he's fa- he said, you're failing the big test. So it feels like a lot that this is Gerda coming out into these characters, like you mentioned, which I think makes a lot of sense. Um, so I find, I find that really interesting um, there as well. Did you have anything else? No, uh, I've got a little bit more on the effed up simulation that goes into one of my other ones. But yeah, that's just, again, like you, you kind of find that this this therapy for the therapist is going to be a very interesting, uh, like, you know, she could end up being the hero, Dr. Greta, which would be kind of the unsung <sighs> hero, I guess. But I know, but is she, how stable is she? I wonder about, you know, because she doesn't seem very well put together either. She seems quite a mess. Um, yeah, for sure. So I don't know. I'm. I don't know that I know enough about her, but I know her computer self is kind of jacked up right now. <laughs> so what do you have for your number four? My number four. It's mine is kind of short and sweet as well. I'm going to go into a little bit more about my favorite scene from episode seven, and that is uh, Annie's wake up call. And that was, if you remember, when they were in the hut. Was it? Um, with the human, with, with not the queen because Greta was the queen there at the end. But what what, what did they call her? Was she a oh, witch? Was um, she a queen? Whatever she uh, was, I think she was like the witch or something. Yeah, okay. I don't think I wrote it down, but but basically they got kidnapped. Annie and her sister were kidnapped and taken uh, to this settlement, and. They're talking to her about the journey that they are on, and she seems to know everything that's happening, you know, what, where they're going and what it's really for. And it's not just about really visiting the, the lake. It's about Annie confronting her guilt and why she's on that journey. And then what happens when she gives her that mirror to see her reflection? She's like, I, I'm interested in seeing your reflection and that started Annie's journey with confronting her demons and her guilt over what happened with her sister because then that was when she all of a sudden she she was she's seeing all of these memories and they seem to be Annie's memories slipping into this fantasy. And she somehow and I don't think that's supposed to happen, right? You're not supposed to wake up. No, and I wonder, I mean, because it seems like computer Greta Gerda is like collecting these consciousness in ex- yes. some extent. So I wonder if this is like one of those rogue consciousness that is here and has escaped. And cause it kind of got like, this is their mom feel a little bit, but as we learn, her, their mom is not a very great person. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wonder if this is somebody that is in this world is playing along, but trying to give Annie the, the knowledge and the, the foresight to be able to stop the loop that she's in with computer Greta Greta. Right. I know. And I wonder about that exactly what, what kind of part Gerda, the computer is, is playing in this and how much she's helping her along with confronting it because it seemed like that this was a good thing. However, I don't think it was a good, you know, it was a good thing to get her on this journey to this confrontation so she can get over her sister's death, tell her sister goodbye and be able to move on. But the whole deal with the C pill was to take the place of your um, self defenses, mm-hmm. which we know that Annie doesn't have any because she cheated her way into the trial. So 
I don't know if that has something to do with why she woke up. Um, and it was, it was, but it was cool to see her kind of go out of character, how yeah, she was yeah. no longer, she lost her accent. She was remembering all of the, you know, about their memories and what happened. Um, how and fantasy I, I is her that. least favorite genre. How she hates fantasy. And she's talking to Elia, her sister, who's still like in character, which she's a simulation, but she's still, she's like, she's, she's, she's hugging her and she's talking about, you know, because she misses her and she's getting to see her again. We know that's why she kept taking the A pill was because she, you know, got to be with her sister and she's talking to her and she's like, you know, yes, you're, you're Nia, you're my guide. You're helping me get to the lake of the clouds. And, and she's still got her accent going and she just well, like, okay, we'll just play along. And this kind of ties into my number two a little bit, but it was interesting when she was talking to her sister about that and her sister's like, wait, so you're telling me that you're the only one that thinks this is fake? Like everybody else in this world is in this world. There's elves. There's all these other things. She's like, don't list them, which was funny. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's kind of that realization, like it, like what would happen if like you f- like think you are in a simulation and you're talking to everybody else, like no, like this isn't the Matrix. This is just the real real world. Mm-hmm. If everybody thinks this, but you don't, maybe you have the issue. Maybe you're the crazy one. M- you know, somebody must have casted a spell on you. Yeah, and I always find those kind of conundrums very interesting. Like that's why I always liked like Nightmare on Elm Street and stuff like that because. It's that whole idea of like, well, am I in a dream world or am I in the real world? Like what's going on? And I love that you can play with that a lot. And it seems like, again, my number two is this effed up simulation. That's where a lot of these characters I think are going to be in in the next two episodes. You know, we see Owen kind of figure out like, wait a second, like this doesn't make any sense. Like what the Mm -hmm. fuck's going on here? I just left with this girl and now I'm in this apartment with seven kids. Like I don't even remember the last 40 years of my life. I know people say that, but like that's, that's not real. Uh, so I'm really curious to see like if we continue to see that with, and that's where I thought with the the real Doctor Greta, I thought she was gonna again come out of that um, simulation and think she was out of it, but actually still be stuck in it because Computer Greta was like, "Fuck you, you're still in here. I'm the one that's therapying you." Yeah, that's a scary thought too. Oh yeah, that she can trap your consciousness there. I like it. Well, that that's my number four, though, just short and sweet. I just really love that scene. She she Emma Stone just did such a, a great job, you know, and you mentioned it earlier, you know, kind of how she was able to immerse herself and adapt this, you know, new personality and something we haven't seen from her before and just thought it was really great that she said so much there on her face when she was, yeah. you know, playing this character and then all of a sudden woke up. Um, I thought it was really great. So... What's your number three? All right. So my number three is simply Jed. So <laughs> we see Jed show up at the hotel. He blasts away his fiance. That's like some pulp fiction. Oh, it was. Yeah. Stuff and, going on when. <laughs> and kind of a sub note to that, like Owen's reality here, there was a ton of like gory blood. Like this was like Quentin yes. Tarantino slash Eli Roth, like extreme blood and gore. It was. But we find out that, you know, he's the brother that was, um, you know, given up at birth. He joined the cops because bloodline trumps every or nothing trumps blood. Right. You know, so that's they needed to cop with the bloodline. And it, it seems like we don't really see how this happened, but apparently Owen was working with the FBI mm-hmm. and set all this up. And we see the FBI agent who was was that the guy from Stranger Things? The the conspiracy theory guy? Oh, 
Oh my gosh, you know what? That's why he looks so familiar. I don't know. I don't know for sure if that was him, but let me make a note of that and I'll try and, and find that out. I'm not. A, it catch. looked like him at least. Um, it did look like him, yes. But he shows up with a sawed-off shotgun and just blows Jed away, cuts him in half. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but it was interesting to see it again. Like This was like the whole Jed and Owen in the real world and like taking the blame for this stuff and... You know, it's again, it comes back to like Jed and Owen having some type of very hostile relationship because when Owen jumps out the window, he sees all these characters and there's one with him and the the uh, hawk mm-hmm. and he turns into a hawk. Um, so I kind of was hoping we would expand more on Jed because, again, we've seen him in multiple episodes, but this is the first time he had like a really big interaction with Owen and it was cut in half, probably, <laughs> literally. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, Jed's a character that, you know, when he's popped into these scenes, like, I just love him to death because he's just, he's a very dry, very humorous character to me. Um, So, yeah, that's my number three is just Jed. I like it, which kind of ties into my number three. So I'll just, just jump in with that. And that's Owen's confrontation. So I think Owen's true confrontation that we see, which wasn't as thrilling, I don't think. I think I enjoyed Emma Stone's fantasy more than I did this one, but it was still really good to kind of see. I mean, and then what was up with Owen or with his wig? I I I do I don't know who this person is. I had to kind of read up a little bit, but as I was reading stuff online. People kept saying he looked like Post Malone. I don't know who the hell. Oh. Is. That's so. That's one of the things I hate about getting old. Like at some point, you're like, "Oh, well, I'm still hip, right?" And then you hear like some people like, "Oh my god, have you heard the new Post Malone song? Like it's his seventh album." You're like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Yeah. And I've seen him. I think he's on Jimmy Kimmel, and it's a dude that's got like grills, like a bunch of face tattoos, long dreads. I've probably seen his picture somewhere. Probably, yeah. It's one of those things. Whenever you have face tattoos, usually that doesn't mean you're a winner. But mm-hmm. I'm sure he's got a pretty decent bank account, even though I have no clue who he is. Right. Yeah. I I, I was like, I don't know who this person is. So I guess I'm going to have to go read up a little bit and just, fi- I think he's a musician, right? So Yeah. Yeah. Um, like a rap artist, I assume. Yeah. So anyway, I'm just going to take everyone else's word for it. Um, but I just thought, what is up with the, the wigs were great. You had Owen's uh, funky braids happening and then you had uh, Emma Stone's amazing Elvin uh, wig that she had with her braids as well. So I love that. But anyway, back to Owen's confrontation. I think that when his immersion into this alternate reality that he's in, this memory, this session, whatever it is that you want to call it, was he was confronting his father, his Father tells him in the beginning that he wants him to cover up for him mm-hmm. uh, for this last, uh, and apparently his dad likes to kill people with drills. Um, so this last one that he did that we see in the beginning, he's like, I need you to take the, the blame for it. Just tell him you're crazy, you know, and you'll get off no problem. And, you know, we know already from other episodes that there, are, his father as well is asking him to testify for his brother um, you know, in real life that his brother has done something. We don't quite know. We can only allude to what his brother's done. Um, it sounds like some sort of assault, some sort of maybe sexual assault because it's a female um, is just what we can go off of. But I think that he's also here being taught that 
family isn't everything. Um, mm. Because there's so much, you know, about, well, it's your brother, it's your brother, and, and then the bloodline, and, and how, you know, the blood trumps all. And it's like, but it shouldn't, at least in this case, because it, it it's showing his family, which I think Owen perceives his family, not quite literal drilling people with, you know, drills in the skull, but like as monsters. He thinks his family are monsters because they're asking him to cover up. Uh, you know, for this and to lie for his brother, which he doesn't want to do. So I think that he's confronting that. But I also think he was confronting what happened with Olivia. We see Olivia again, which, you know, I'm kind of like, where is she coming from? What's her purpose in all of this? And she keeps popping up in all of these um, things here and there in these different sessions. And, you know, they had that lovely moment. I really like that dialogue between them as they're sitting there in the diner and there's that dialogue between them and she's telling him about her boyfriend that blew up. Yeah. Um, and we know from that story, listening to her, that that was what Owen had told, you know, Annie, you know, before, and that he thought that Olivia had been hired by his family. They were going to, you know, have seven kids. He thought it was all not real and he blew up. And I think that in that moment, he was trying to apologize to her for that. Mm. So I think that there were a couple of different things that he was going through um, in in this whole scenario. What did you think about all of that? What's your thoughts? I, I mean, I dug that scene. I made a pretty big note of that too, because it, it definitely was a situation where you're like, okay, well, like at first when we heard that story, you're like, and you had just learned about all these other services out there. Like, well, there literally could be a service out there where families buy women to be mm-hmm. wives or husbands. I guess you could buy husbands uh, for their children that they pay tons of money to, and they live and make kids, and they live a somewhat okay life, I guess. But um, <laughs> I, I got that same gist as like as she's talking about, I'm like, what's well, kind of weird? Okay, he worked for a crime family, yada yada yada, and then it kind of just hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like, oh, she's she's retelling the story, but from her perspective. Mm-hmm. And then you start to wonder, it's like, okay, well, did, did all that stuff really happen? And then, again, you start questioning everything else. Like, okay, well, what's real? What what actually is happening in this world? Yeah. You know, is, is the scene we saw with uh, him talking about her, was that real? Was this scene real? Um, so it opens up a lot of questions. Um, and, again, I like that because – it's kind of like the uh, um, Leonardo DiCaprio movie. There's Inception, and then there's the one where he's in the insane asylum, which is the same thing. Like you're watching all these Shutter things. Shutter Island. Like, oh, Shutter yeah. Island, yeah. We're like, okay, well, what's real, what isn't? It's really tough to understand what's going on there. Oh, you get me with Inception. That is one of my all-time favorite movies. I watch that, and I get something new out of it every time. Uh, my favorite interaction, though, is when they're sitting at the counter. And uh, he like has his hand on hers or gets close, and she's like, "Oh my god, like why are you so hot?" And she's like, "I'm 106 degrees. I have chronic <laughs> hypothermia." And he stands up and he's just got like this cold, like, "Oh, that's fucked up." Yeah, I, know. I gotta go. <laughs> so many good lines. <laughs> so many good lines in this. It was cracking me up, and and only Jonah Hill, I think, could deliver. Oh. Some of these lines in this episode. Yeah, I, this character he played in these two, I think Franco could have pulled it off. Like that felt, totally. I know Franco had that Spring Breaker movie he was in, which I felt <laughs> like that's probably what Jonah Hill was channeling in this. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting for sure. It was really good. Um, did you happen to notice in that scene when she's talking about it, there is a sign that neon sign behind her. It looked like there was like 
heat radiating off yeah, of her. Yeah, yeah, notice that. Do you notice that? That was I don't know if that was on purpose. I don't know if that was just a light thing. I don't know, but I thought it was really funny. I caught it on my second watch, but thought that was good. Yeah. Right. Uh, see, so that was our number three. So number three. What's your number two? My number two, we've kind of touched on, is just the effed up simulation. So, again, it's just I'm so intrigued by these things. Where I think it goes back to an "Are you afraid of the dark?" show I watched mm-hmm. that that involved like computers and AI, and it's just that whole idea of. And I mean, like Elon Musk talks about it a lot. He's like, "What if we're in a simulation?" Yeah. Even like, I mean, I feel like he's a robot. I mean, I don't know if you've listened to the Joe Rogan. <laughs> Uh, experience he was on, but that dude just seems like a legit robot. Uh, like every interaction, like Joe Rogan's like, Oh my God, like what about this? Like, and he's like, yeah, uh, we've, uh, been doing something with that and, uh, it'll, you'll have to just wait and see. Um, (laughs) my, uh, my, I've got a car and uh, it's got Easter eggs and it can do dances. Uh, (laughs) I love Elon Musk. I don't yeah, care he's if he's a, a robot. He's crazy dude, but I mean, he's going to get us to Mars probably. He is, um, in a Tesla. But, yeah. <laughs> but it's, again, just this this whole effed up simulation. So we've talked about it quite a bit, so I don't really have too much more to add. So what is like uh, your it. number two? Well, my number two we've already talked about, and that was Greta versus Goethe. Um, I oh, just nice. It was really short and sweet, that little snippet that we got of those two. So I don't really have a whole lot more to say about that part. So with that, that would go to your number one. All right. So my number one, last week we had, uh, so tell me about your mother. <laughs> and I don't really know how to title this one because I know a lot of times with uh, Freud, it was more sons and mothers. <clears throat> but in this episode, we got a lot more of daughters and their mother. And this mother mm-hmm. was just, you know, we, we, we heard about uh, Dr. Greta and how she talked about like she wanted to kill herself with her son, which would be very, very traumatic, I think, for an eight-year-old, uh, eight-year-old kid. I'd say. But these girls, what they had to deal with is a mother who just – it seems like there's no other way to put it but despise them. Yes. You know, there was a point where, I mean, I understand. <clears throat> you know, you got something going on. Kids go out, get muddy, come back in. You're like, fuck. All right, guys, <laughs> let's let's hose you off. Like, why would you do that? Like, gosh dang it. We got, you know, we got to go to Pizza Hut and get some pizza. I'm starving and now I got to clean you off. Mm-hmm. But, like, she talks about, like, she's like, if you two step foot in here, I will drown you before you step foot in this house. And she called them filthy roaches, too. I know. Um, and I love that Emma Stone's character in this remembers. She says, oh, yeah, she was in her sundress, which is just a very specific detail that you would remember. And she just throws in, like, oh, and she was having a day. So, again, that their mother you know, had these bad days. But the most telling piece of this, so at some point something happens. Annie runs uh-huh. away. But her sister stays behind because she, I don't know if she, I can't remember, did she say she wasn't brave, as brave, or she wanted to, either way, she stays with her mother. And her mother, I mean, it's it's kind of not derogatory, I guess, or, but as she's looking at her daughter, she's like, how did I deserve such a normal child? Yeah. And I don't know if you'd be like, hey, what's worse? Like, you know, normal or you have issues? You know, if you have issues, you can probably argue it's like, oh, I've got like a mental condition. I have some kind of health issue. It's kind of out of my control. But when somebody's like, oh, well, you're just normal. 
Like, what the fuck does that mean? Right. Like, you're just so ordinary. There's nothing special about you. Exactly. It's basically kind of what she was telling her. Like, you could drop off the face of the earth and nobody would really care. Um, yeah, it's, it's terrible. Cause, and, I, and I just looked it up. She says, I'm the mother of two filthy roaches. I will drown you both before you set in this house. Um, she says that I, she asked me why I hadn't run away. She said, um, well, she said it was out of respect, even though really it was because I was more afraid than you. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Hmm. And then she had said, what did, what did I do to deserve a daughter like her? She said, uh, um, she said, I asked what she meant. She said, utterly and predictably normal. And then um, Annie says, well, it's better than being hit. So it kind of yeah. gives you a little, little bleak picture into their childhood. Um, and yes, it might be better than being hit, but it's still, I, you know, whether you're physically abused or verbally abused, it still stings and, and hurts, you know, and can cause the same amount of damage. And I think being called utterly and predictably normal you know, can sting and hurt and damage a child as well. And is certainly a form of its own abuse, in my opinion. Um, and it just, what a horrible person. I know, <laughs> right? I, mean, I think it resonates with me because, I mean, at times when you get older, you kind of, and <clears throat> this is just me probably, but I mean, as a child, like, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a baseball player. I'm going to be a country music star or mm-hmm. I'm going to do something great. And then you get to an age where you're like, oh, well, I've got a good job. I've got a house. But like if, if my mom said, well, you're just kind of predictably normal at this point in my life, I'd be like, yeah, I just, I'm like, I'm just normal. Like there's nothing special about me. Yeah. Um, and it would sting a lot more. And you know, this, this character really didn't get to that point because she passed on too early, but she was going someplace to try and do something. You know, Salt Lake city was a big change. Yeah. Um, but she didn't even get to make it that far. No, so she it's, didn't. It's just, you know, they don't touch on it too much, like seeing the actual stuff that happens, but it's it's definitely something that's lasted or put a pretty big impression on both these these characters, both these uh, sisters. I'd say. Yeah, it was interesting how they were going through this together and how, you know, uh, her sister Ellie was kind of coming out of character. It was interesting. Did you notice how she had her really strong accent throughout and then after Annie had you know, kind of woken up and she was talking to her, you could see Ellie's accent slowly fading away. Like she'd have the accent and you could feel it or hear it kind of fade away um, as she, as she was talking and kind of remembering this whole um, scene that they had just talked about, you know, playing, being covered in mud and clay, she says. Um, So I I like that as well. So I'm kind of interested how much of that, what, what the purpose of that was exactly, because Annie's the one going through all of this. So, what was it about this particular memory that they were sharing that was helping her to confront and move forward? So I don't know that I have the answer to that, but I thought it was interesting. I like that whole scene. Sad. Mm. So okay. do you have an uplifting number one? I, don't, I wouldn't call it uplifting for sure. Mine is uh, McMurphy. I have, mm. I, I think we're kind of understanding now what a McMurphy is. I think it's, you mentioned it earlier, so you've already hit the nail on the head, in my opinion, and that's trapped consciousness. Mm-hmm. Is this what Gerda does? Does she, as we see in the end there, when she's making this deal with Annie, you know, she's because she's woken up, and I think that that is maybe what has happened to other folks that they're now stuck in this catatonic coma state because 
their consciousness has been taken over or mm-hmm. taken prisoner by Gerda in this similar fashion that she did with Annie here at the end. And she's trapped her here. She's preventing her from moving on. She's kind of, I don't know what's happening with Gerda. She's going haywire here or what, but I think that this is what a McMurphy is. What is your opinion on that? Uh, I think it makes sense. So they, they probably pulled these people out. Um, Dr. Greta uh, obviously knows what a McMurphy is when she's coming out of her state. So she you, know, you see the doctor freak out about that. And it's probably a situation where you get the catatonic subject and that conscious is stolen. And it's it's definitely were, uh, weird because – or not weird, but it's it's was creepy in a sense because when Greta made that deal, the computer Greta, I thought she was going to basically put Annie in a loop. Mm-hmm. So at that point, she's going to push Annie off the the cliff. She's going to die, and then all of a sudden, poof, she's back to where we started in this first episode. Um, but instead, it's even darker. She gets kidnapped, and the reason she made that deal is because she's like, well, I can stay with my sister. And Gerda's like, nope, guess what? We're going down this road that is on a map. It's the road you were on when your sister died. It's the road you've been on for tons of different things and all these simulations. And, you know, it's... It's going to be so interesting how these next two episodes play out. I think, you know, it's going to be like this big psychological battle with this supercomputer, which I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens next. Um, if, if, are they moving into a new like scenario, a new world um, or memory, you know, whatever for this C phase C pill that they're under now? Um, and exactly how that will end, because, of course, we just saw Annie uh, in this truck, which was a weird image, I felt, in this. It seems so yeah. out of place in this fantasy world. We have this old pickup truck <laughs> down with the queen strapped to the back. And I'm just like, well, that looks so strange. Um, but whatever. Strange but fitting for this show. Strange but fitting. This this show does such a great job of making it just weird enough to to be interesting, but not so. It's not really for the sake of being weird. Um, mm. So I like that. So that's my number one is just a McMurphy. I we kind of speculated a little bit about what that meant before and the meaning behind that. Um, but I think that now we kind of are definitely getting that realization, and I'm interested to see what happens next. Um, do you have any notes? Um, I've got a couple. Um, so the the Lake of the Clouds, um, I just made a little note to that. Is that supposed to like reference Salt Lake City? Um, yeah. Uh, there was a, a street they, they showed quite a bit was Confrontation Boulevard. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you caught that. I did. <laughs> um, as she was leaving the uh, um, little hut of that was uh, witch lady, um, she uh, ran past the truck driver, and she's like, you're so-and-so, and she's like, asshole. And just yeah. walks out. Did you catch his name? It was uh, the the truck driver that killed her sister. That yes. Greg yeah, yeah. Nosland or whatever his name was. I can't remember the F U N Nosland fella. And that's what really kind of snapped her out of her little dream state and made her realize that she was in this. You know, that it was like her wake up moment is what I call it. But I think that was really it for her as well when she realized that was him. And then the last thing was really just uh, – it's kind of a passing thing they talked about, but where brains are just like computers that kind of make sense of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's always kind of – you know, we, we kind of got this with Castle Rock a little bit and other shows, but it's just that whole idea of how your brain processes what you see. Like 
You know, mm-hmm. I'm always very intrigued about like, like, like right now, like we're doing this podcast. Like what, what if I'm actually in an insane asylum talking into a tin can, you know, like <laughs> my reality is I'm talking through this thing on this computer, but maybe, you know, you're the therapist that comes in. It's like, Oh my God. All right. We got to do my show with Sean. Uh, and then Richard on language of bromance is the same way. It's like, Oh, okay. So he's the other doctor that has to help me. He's like, all right, great. Now we're going to talk about these kangaroos on the loose in Austria. All right, let's do this, Sean. <laughs> and how does that make you feel? <laughs> it makes me feel oh, special. Okay, you're not you ordinary. Come back at every all. week. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. Those are my notes. Well, th- these podcasting sessions can very much be like therapy. That's that's for sure. Sometimes, oh yeah. Um, good notes. I like those. So so many good things out of these two episodes. Uh, a few of my episode notes. The first one that I have. Whenever I saw the title of the episode, at first it didn't mean anything to me, but I'm like, well, I have to go translate this because I don't know what that means. And I feel like the titles of shows can be, you know, they have meaning. So I'm like, I have to go. I don't know French. I don't speak French at all. So Google Translate. Thank you. Um, so with that French title, and I'm not going to pronounce it. I'm just not because I'm not going to make people listen to me. It means this is not a drill. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. Which has so multiple meanings. <laughs> it has multiple meanings. And we hear that, um, we hear his dad say that um, in this in this uh, episode eight, he'll say this is not a drill. And I think it can mean a couple of different things. So the first thing that it reminded me of, there is this famous painting that's called The Treachery of Images, which is also sometimes translated as The Treason of Images. Uh, it is also known as This Is Not a Pipe, and it's a painting by the Belgian surrealist painter Renier Magritte. The picture shows a pipe, and below it, Magritte painted uh, just French for This Is Not a Pipe. I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry. Um, so basically, he his painting is of a pipe and he says, this is not a pipe because he said to say it is a pipe would be to lie. So Mm. I I found that kind of interesting for them to use that as this is not a drill. But I also think it kind of goes into when, you know, you have like your uh, fire alarms or fire drills at work or tornado drills. And you're just like, you hear the alarm and you're like, Oh, it's just a drill. And yeah. this says, no, this is not a drill. So I think it's also like a, like a call to arms to Owen when his father says that at the end, like, this is not a drill. Um, you know, this is, this is really happening. This is not just a playthrough. This is really happening. And this is real. So I think it can kind of go of like a twofold kind of thing. Um, you just mentioned the journey to the lake, I think, was mirrored by the episode that we got earlier where Annie and her sister were going to Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. And then that being where her sister died when the when her vehicle is hit and it is then falling off the side of the cliff onto that lake uh, where her sister died. And then she says it herself. She's like, this is it. This is where I died. So I think that the journey that we see Anya and uh, Elia are making was their journey to salt like that road trip was mirroring each other. Um, I really liked this. This is horrible. I mean, this, this whole mafioso family here was just terrible, but I just thought it was really funny. This funny line that we got, his dad is talking to him about giving up his brother for adoption at four months old. Oh yeah. <laughs> he said he was a disloyal baby. So he gave him up for adoption. He's like, you know, he was only four months old, but I saw it early. And uh, he said all he did was lie all the time. 
And in his own, the only way that Jonah Hill can, he says, babies can't talk though. (laughs) (laughs) Gold. I mean, just gold. I love that. Um, So that's all the notes that I have for these two episodes. I I really like this episode. Yeah, I like both both of these. I hope we get more Emma Stone as a half elf. I'm really hoping for that. Yeah, it would be really interesting. And since we are done with our notes, that's going to take me into the news, which might give you a little bit of insight if we're ever going to see a spinoff with uh, Emma Stone as an elf. And we have one item this week. It's from Business Insider. So they say, it turns out there's a reason why we've never seen Emma Stone in a fantasy movie. She only likes to play realistic characters. Maniac director Carrie Fukunaga discovered that early on while developing the Netflix show with the Oscar winner. While kicking around ideas from the different types of roles she and her co-star Jonah Hill could play in the show when their characters are on drugs, he had a thought. Um, This is Carrie Fukunaga. He says, how about an elf or a vampire? Uh, She said, no, nothing that's not real. And he says, just personally, that's not her taste, Fukunaga says. She's never seen Lord of the Rings. She can't get into things that aren't real. But as the show continued in the development process, Fukunaga and show creator Patrick Somerville couldn't resist writing the elf role in with Stone's hatred of the genre as part of the story. (laughs) It was especially fitting because one of the three drugs Stone and Hill take on the show is called Confrontation, and it is to be taken to overcome anxieties, fears, and depression. Patrick and I thought, well, doesn't that make sense for the confrontation drug? Something she really doesn't enjoy. So we wrote that mildly into the character, Fukunaga said. And when she did the scene, she was just like gritting her her teeth. Carrie, I'm doing this for you. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, that makes me sad that we're not going to get my show now. I know. I was kind of bummed to read that as well. I stumbled upon that looking for some news items and thought, oh, that falls into place with the um, episodes that we're covering this week. And I, along with you, thought the same thing. Wouldn't it be super cool to uh, have a little spinoff? Not that it would probably happen, but, you know, it's kind of fun to think that, you know, to have a little spinoff of that because I'm sure they don't have the time. Emma Stone probably doesn't have the time for something like that, but... It's fun to think about. So that's all the news that we have for this week. We have one item of feedback, and that's a voicemail from Steve Brown. My greatest triumphs always go unnoticed. I thought that was a great line from uh, <laughs> Annie as the elf. But there's, I feel like I could watch these episodes more times and still not get it. I think, though, what Owen's point was what his confrontation was about was to realize that he wasn't supposed to be with Olivia that's what he's been dealing with for so long is that he thought Olivia was the one for him and she's not Annie is and Annie needed to say goodbye to her sister and Gerda just wanted a friend does that sound right does that seem like um really liked all the very 80s feel to Owen's his vision, his whatever gob- globular cluster they called it, with the very headed Don Brasco feel, a very uh, King of New York kind of feel, New Jack City, all those kind of 80s uh, cop undercover movies and and of that time frame sort of thing. Um, who is Frank? That that I, I We've seen him before, but I, I couldn't pinpoint who he was. At the beginning of the first episode, they mentioned that She's failed her quest a bunch of times. thought that was interesting. 
um, when Annie looks into the mirror in the first episode, the, the French one, that's what breaks her out of the vision and she starts to realize that it's all um, just in the computer simulation. So, was it all about Gerda just trying to get Annie in? Is that what we're going to have now? Is we'll have Owen trying to get her back? Has she been McMurphy? I don't know. Um, can't wait to hear what you guys have to say. And uh, there were just a lot of things in this these episodes. Uh, the, the introduction of, not introduction, but the Jed coming in and saving him by killing the woman and then Frank coming in and saving him again. It just all, these two episodes could have been together, it seemed, but they split them up. So can't wait to see how they wrap up this series. I'm still thinking that it's going to end up being some sort of futuristic simulation of what the 80s thought the future was going to look like. That's my prediction, but it'll probably be something completely different. Talk to you next week. <laughs> Great phone call as always. Awesome. It's kind of like Steve is our th- uh, unofficial third member for this uh, this series. I know he puts in some really great feedback we should have him guesting some time with us so he can um have take or take more of that time to to delve out all of his amazing thoughts i love all of that great insight steve thank you everyone for contributing your feedback and letting us know what you think about the show we're having a really great time with it so uh, we always appreciate everyone when you take the time um, you know, to, to just interact, let us know what you think and, uh, have a good time with us. I love you guys. Yeah. Thanks everybody. All right. So next week we'll be covering the final episodes for Maniac episodes nine and 10 titled Tengata and option C. They said Udengata during this episode this week as well. Did you catch uh, that? Yeah. Which where, where did they say that at? Owen, at the end, when he's trapped in his married life hell with seven kids that are all named after continents. Oh, when he just like, I, he just, I heard him say, okay. Yeah, he yeah. just, just kind of snapped and said, Udangata. And oh. just a little teaser, that's Icelandic. And it means, um, oh goodness, short attention span. What does that mean? Absent-minded, sorry. Absent-minded. Oh, okay. I'm going to start so, using that. If something's like just happens, go, Udangata. Udangata. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, that's, oh, I, and I don't know an Icelandic. Um. Uh, what's it called? I can't do an accent at all. So sorry. Um. Anyway, we're really excited for you to join the trial with us. And until they pass out the drugs, you can follow us on Twitter at Strange T Cast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Stranger T-Cast. You can check us out on Instagram at strange underscore indeed underscore pod. You can email us at strangerthingscastpod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. And you can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts like The Walking Dead Cast at podcastica.com. Go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed or any of the other great app, po- podcastica podcasts on Apple Podcast. And speaking of great podcasts, make sure to check out Sean and his other podcast, The Language of Bromance, that comes out every Sunday. Yeah, you get to hear about kangaroos in Austria. I want to hear about kangaroos in Austria, so I guess <laughs> I'm going to have to listen to that one. And also, if you're going to be in the Chicago area on November 27th, we're going to be doing a live Language of Bromance episode at The Beat Kitchen. So check us out. It's November 27th. Tickets are only $12. And if you want to help out 
strange indeed a little bit. We have an Amazon link in our show notes. Just click the link, do your shopping, and we'll get a little bit of a kickback. Holiday season's coming up, folks. All right. Well, that's our episode. That's our show. Episode 60, Sese Nest Pas Un Drill and the Lake of the Clouds. Until next time, I'm Rima. Hey, and I'm Sean. And RC is strange indeed. <laughs>